Things have gotten a little cuckoo uh, here at uh, Shea OMG. Welcome back to Check Displeased, the podcast where we're rereading the webcomic Check Please, which is the story of a twink who is so small that he could climb into your butt. Today, we're going to be talking about comic 2.13, post two, Frozen 4. I'm Secret, and today I am joined by somebody who didn't die from COVID, yet hello hello guess whose lung capacity is not great but still extant hello i'm tomato do you think that means you'll run out of steam and this will be like a reasonably timed episode i like to think that however sometimes the excitement about jack zimmerman just like fills me with artificial adrenaline so then i'll pass out after we're done but i could expend all of my energy for the next three days on talking about Jack Zimmerman's photographs, so we'll see. Samwell men's hockey is back in the Frozen Four, much to the credit of the team's spark and Jack Zimmerman's personal desire to win. Before their last game, Jack and Shitty look out onto the ice as Jack takes pictures contemplating his own future and the second semester senior feeling of knowing that they're about to move on. So just, just for like, organization's sake, I'm proposing that we kind of leave stuff about hockey for the next comic. So questions basically about like, how is the hockey team doing? How did they get here? Will they win? That kind of stuff, that sort of plot related stuff. We're going to stick that in the next episode. So we'll talk, I guess, a little bit more about like what happens with the actual hockey team when we find out what the result of this game that they're anticipating and this strip is. This strip is taking place at theoretically TD Garden which is an arena in Boston where the Bruins play and also the Celtics? Celtics? The team is pronounced Celtics, which is not how you pronounce that word in any other context that I've ever heard. Okay, so the Boston Celtics, who are uh, the basketball team. So it's a real arena. And when Shitty says that Jack will be back there, he does literally mean that Jack will be back there, like playing in the NHL. So even if he didn't end up going with the Falconers, every NHL team plays every other NHL team twice during the regular season, once at home and once away. So, um, yeah, even if he'd ended up on some entirely different team, he would essentially end up at least once a year back at TD Garden playing the Bruins. And in terms of the structure of the comic, I feel like this is kind of a weird little strip. So I guess we're going to take a minute to kind of walk through like what's actually going on here. Everything takes place basically within the single moment at which Jack and Shitty and eventually Biddy are standing near the ice, kind of looking out onto the rink. But the structure is like this. The first panel is a close-up on Jack taking a picture, like, in the actual moment of the strip. And then there's this 
narration from, I don't know, somebody you presume to just be like an anonymous newscaster or an anonymous sportscaster. Then that narration continues over a sprawling panel of ephemera, which pertains to Jack's experience of the season or maybe just like the playoffs. Then there's this final media sensational question of like, will the team's vigor and spirit be enough over like this wide shot that shows you Biddy kind of like chasing the frogs down, I don't know, like the corridor in the arena, like in the foreground. And then there's context for where Jack was taking that picture because Shitty and Jack are standing in the background near the ice. So that's sort of like how this whole thing is set up and then everything continues to unfurl like within that one moment immediately after Jack took that picture on the first panel. The first time I read this, I liked it. I liked it. It feels very like the end of a sitcom season montage kind of thing, which I think totally makes sense for the shift that the comic is going through, which is from a sitcom-y group dynamic feel towards a more rom-com or romance feel. I think narratively, the media frame here works better than like Biddy's vlog, because at least it's saying something qualitative about the team in a way that actually impacts the plot. It's not just acting as an introduction to like what the strip is about. But I actually think that the organization of information and the way it's kind of spread here is a little weird. I'm not sure if that's because it's focusing largely on Jack. And of course, primarily this strip is about Biddy. So like, maybe it's that shift that feels a little strange. I don't know if it's just that the scope is kind of weird because it's all taking place in this moment during and right after the shot that Jack takes. And then there's like a flashback. I don't know if that flashback is just too big. There's at least one panel that doesn't need to be here, which is the panel in which Biddy's saying behave. Like, I don't actually think, I think that's showing something about Biddy, but I think makes the overall arc of the strip less tight. I think it works okay, but I'm not a huge fan of the scope, I guess, or the way that the scope is being portrayed, if that makes sense. I do like the idea of a retrospective. I love a. It's not a montage, it's a collage more because it's still, but I still feel like it's trying to show us something and I don't know that it's so successful in doing so. I think it's interesting that you point out that this is the one panel that could really be dropped. And I agree fundamentally in terms of the storytelling, but thinking about the art, this is the best executed panel in the strip. I'm not saying that this like collage of various ephemera is bad. I definitely understand that it's like a very carefully constructed piece within the larger strip. But yeah, I mean, in terms of just like raw drawing talent, in terms of like scene setting, in terms of complicated perspective, and also in terms of just like giving giving context for like where Jack and Shitty are standing and kind of contrasting like the personal and the interpersonal with the immensity of the arena. It's a good shot and it's, yeah, I, I think it's the, the best executed, best drawn. 
in terms of what it's communicating to us, this is where I think we bring in um, our recurring segment, Shouter Infantilism Watch. Maybe yelling at the frogs to like stop running around the arena and telling them to behave is weirdly parental versus them being childlike. Shouter is the only one who's visible. So even though ostensibly he's yelling at also like Nursey and Dex, um, it really does just look like he is, I don't know, the parent sort of like watching Shouter like run up to the swing set when they just got to the playground. Even though he's larger than Biddy and like he's effectively an adult man, yeah, something something about him, something about his posture, something about his, the like little like expression of like ah, like you know wide eyed or whatever. Yeah, it just basically makes him look like a kid to Biddy's sort of like authoritative slash parental thing that he's got going on here. And then I think it's really interesting that like a couple panels later, Shitty and Jack start horsing around, and Biddy doesn't tell them to behave. He just stands there saying nothing. So yeah, in in contrast, it's like the way that Chowder is being constructed here is like a naughty child that Biddy needs to rein in. And that mirrors the last time we talked about, actually, I think it was just in the last episode where um, Chowder is trying to point out his very few mustache hairs and Biddy and Jack are sort of constructed in a parental tone you know, in response to him. So it's a repeated motif that Biddy feels like maternal or paternal or something. And then there's also this fact that Shouter is talking about how it's unlucky to run into the other team. And then from, I don't know, off panel, I think it's Nursey is basically saying like, oh, that's over the top ridiculous, even for you. Yes, like within sort of hockey culture, goalies are weird. And they have a lot of bizarre superstitions. Chowder in various little pieces of media is shown to like uphold some of that tradition where it's like, I think he doesn't like to touch pucks off the ice and, and other weird little things like that. That is very much in keeping with like this general conception that like goalies are, I don't know, bizarro people or something because they stand in this net with like fucking pucks flying at them and it's like the weirdest most isolating job on the hockey team so it's just like they're they're weird but the way in which it's like the other characters are kind of like wow like that's weird even for you working in combination with like his general, I don't know, childishness just kind of like reinforces this thing where it's like there's something a little off about this character or it's like he seems very young and very naive and like very immature in a way. Yeah, immature in a way that is often contrasted to the immaturity of his cohort mates, essentially, or like his year mates. You know, the other frogs are also immature, but he's he's always more immature at even even though he's like the one dating somebody that still feels like a very young relationship compared to kind of even later, like whiskey or whatever, you know, he's just constructed in this very young way. That's very one note because I mean, most of the side characters in this comic are one note. So if he were young in some ways, but had like 
other kinds of character notes, you know, it, it might feel a little different, but as it is, uh, not so much. I don't know if this is supposed to be endearing or it's just supposed to show something that we've already seen about Biddy, which she sort of like adopts a parental tone, often sort of in a way that I think of as maternal, although I don't I guess it doesn't have to be maternal nagging or gentle admonishment or kind of caretaking all come together. The article says that the team has a spark this year that they didn't have last year. So presumably that's Biddy and or Jack's love for Biddy. I think, I think that's what we're supposed to get from that. Right. But I don't understand how this moment like shows us what makes Biddy special because it's just kind of like, okay, behave. Like it's not really, showing us a wonderful side of Biddy. And I don't really know. I wish there was like some point to all of this, but it never really feels like there is. Like the fact that Biddy has this kind of like maternal nurturing, like vaguely authoritative parental thing happening never really adds up to anything. And in fact, the rest of the strip is completely dissociated from this particular moment, this particular interaction. So I think we're just supposed to think that like, oh, Biddy is like a little cinnamon roll or something. You know, he's caretaky and he's always concerned about like what the other members of the team are doing. And that's like anti-toxic masculinity because toxic masculinity is about like horsing around and being chaotic. But it's hard to sort of like put together a reading because, again, I don't think there's like any outlet to this. I think it's just sort of like a disposable moment to your point about like this one panel being the thing that you could cut from this strip. Like, I agree. Like, if you lost this, you wouldn't lose any of the story that's happening here. And there is a little story that's happening here. This comes out in a lot of our fanfic, the fact that there's no outlet for it in the comic leads to characterization in fanfic. If you start at the top left, you have like a promotional folder or something. Maybe it's an offer for Jack from the Providence Falconers. Then you have an issue of the Samwell Daily, their newspaper. So this is different from the Swallow, which is a little like gossip rag, like a little campus, like, I don't know, page six thing that circulates. This is the like daily campus newspaper and it's the sports section. And there's obviously a headline about how Samuel Men's hockey is going to the frozen four. And there's a picture of Jack and shitty embracing on it. Jack and shitty are not on the same line. So I don't know why they'd be on the ice together, but okay, it's happening. Then there's a picture taken by Jack of the changing room, like the locker room of the word brotherhood sort of inscribed over the hockey stalls. Then you see Jack's cell phone and what's happening on the screen of Jack's cell phone is that he's looking at what's presumably the group thread and he has basically texted Shitty that he's looking for his book and is it on the bus where he was sitting? He was sitting next to Biddle and then Shitty has texted him back a picture of his book saying, is this it? After that, there's a picture of Biddy taken from behind uh, at the sink in the kitchen in the house. Then there's a pillow. Then there's a picture of Nursey with a kid that he slammed his hockey bag into. 
then there is a picture of um, like Ransom and Holster walking to the rink for practice, I guess. Above that is a picture of Biddy like signing somebody's jersey, it seems like. Then a picture taken presumably by Lardo of Jack and Shitty posing together. Then a picture that Jack has taken of Nursey shoving Biddy into a hockey bag. If you look at the blog post, Ngozi establishes that Lardo is helping shove Biddy into the hockey bag. And if you look at the um, hand that is grasping his left arm, you can see that the fingernails are painted. So it is supposed to be Lardo. But it's like there is almost no way you could possibly discern that just from looking at it without looking at the blog post. Then there's a picture Jack has taken of the inside of the uh, bus. Then there's a picture of Jack with um, Chowder and Holster taken by Lardo. Then a picture taken by Jack of geese on the Samwell River. Then a picture of Holster, like an extreme looking close up. And then another picture taken by Lardo of Jack doing a celly on the ice. So that's what we've got here in this one, like, very panoramic panel. I guess this is supposed to be conceptual. So it seems like it's things that relate to Jack's experience of the season, but they're being arrayed for the viewer. It's not literally like a pile of things that are all together. I would also like to briefly shut out this geese photo as the photo that launched a thousand fix, which is my genius that secret ran away with, which is our MFA verse. Okay. I'm sorry for the shout out to our own fix anyway. Oh yeah, um, that's, true. that's true. Actually. Yes. I also definitely took it as a raid for the viewer. Um, I, I guess you could make the argument that um, Lardo maybe does this as part of her practice and the fact that Jack is also doing this for a class it's possible that these would be literally printed out like maybe they developed them or maybe they had them printed but I definitely think we're supposed to understand this the way that you would understand a montage or a collage this is the thing that for me makes this feel like you know a sort of sentimental end of sitcom uh, or end of rom-com moment because all of these things are clearly supposed to be showing sentimental things from Jack's life so it's like a portrait of his life through the conceit of photography I think rather than an actual portrayal yeah I mean arguably it's like a portrait of Jack in spring 2015 with the falconers thing kind of creeping into the mix but it hasn't fully subsumed his life yet everything is about this hockey team and being in the moment a few of the pictures depict Biddy because Biddy is a major part of Jack's I don't know what he's going through at this time but also just generally like these empty spaces that the hockey team would otherwise inhabit, like the bus or the locker room. Typically those are places that like Jack wouldn't be at by himself. It would be filled with the rest of the team, but he's now sort of contemplating like, you know, he's about to exit the team won't be in these spaces for much longer because the season is winding down. 
it's this like conceptual working through of what the end of his college and what the end of his college hockey career means. What will these spaces be when the team is a different team? There'll be some of the same people, but he won't be there. Right. So it's like a, Theseus's ship kind of team, but this mixed with the sh- the panel that we both agree is narratively not so useful. But you pointed out in our outline that Jack and Shitty in that panel are kind of separate from the rest of the team, like they're far away in the background looking out onto the ice while the rest of the team is outside of the rink. I think those two things together, like there is the sense of future and also longing um, that is starting to come through here really effectively but also it's like weird funny rom-com yeah there's something totally kind of like transitional about this strip i think yeah i mean it's the moment before they play their last game this particular strip is happening midway through the the frozen four because they keep talking about the last game and presumably the last game is the one in which everybody but the two teams who are facing off for the championship has finally been eliminated. So they must be like partly through the frozen four. And this is the moment just before they play this last game, the last moment when they're part of the team getting ready to play a hockey game, the rest of their hockey career, every single game they played, there was always a chance that if they won the game, there would be more games after it, either because it was part of the regular season and they had a schedule or they were playing to win in order to go on to the next round. Like that was what was happening at the end of year one, where there was all this talk about like, oh, it wasn't really worth it that Biddy got a concussion because they got knocked out of the playoffs eventually anyway. And I kept saying like, well, the point is like, they need to eke it out like game by game because in every game they need to be able to make it to the next game. But there is no next game because if they win, then it's just over. They're just done. Yeah, you know, again, I'll say, I think one thing that the comic is obsessed with is milestones. And I and I think that like nostalgia or sort of feeling of longing or sort of like preemptive longing for your college career is one of the most effective emotional arcs of this comic. And that's probably because Ngozi was going through it like herself, I would imagine in graduate school, entering adulthood, so on and so forth. That's one of the feelings that comes across most authentically in this comic. You're still part of it. You're still there. You're still experiencing it, but it also is over and like it's palpably over. And it's also like, this is the highest stakes that anything has ever really been because it's not like a, you lose and you get another chance or you win and you get to keep playing. There is also a finality to this like final game championship thing. There isn't another season next year for Jack and Shitty. It's just like they're going to win or they're going to lose, but there's nothing on the other side of this for them. I recently read a little thing that you wrote about Dutch still lifes and the reminder of mortality. And this is very much reminding me of that. Like this is the ripeness of hockey to remind you that soon hockey will be over. I don't know. I don't think check please is a Vanitas. 
I mean, not on purpose, but you've just given it dimensions to me. So I don't know what to tell you. Oh, I mean, it's like the the death still life of Shaq please would be like all the fucking pies. Like that's the that's the vanitas. It's not the hockey. It's the pies. Well, luckily, those do show up in Jack's uh, photos that he shows to his class. So phew. Yeah, the pies are the memento mori of Czech, please. It's not the hockey. Did he fits into a hockey bag? I did actually find the tweets for this specific incident, which we can read if you want, although they're not that exciting. I don't know. I think maybe we can talk just a little bit about how Biddy's masculinity and body and so on are being constructed just as a continuation from last time. A couple of these pictures in this panorama, this panoramic array of pictures, are allusions to things that Ngozi has already tweeted about as Biddy. So Nursey knocking into this like kid is one thing. Biddy being shoved inside of a hockey bag is another thing. Yeah, it kind of continues this this interesting trend of these are things that Biddy was tweeting about while they would have been happening in real time in like March and April of 2015. And this comic is being posted in, I want to say November. So basically it's like eight months ago and Gozi set up these circumstances that people following Biddy's Twitter at the time have already consumed and now she's like i don't know illustrating it or like throwing a bone um about it to readers who have been following the twitter to kind of like reward them for paying attention or whatever or perhaps it's more so that like she always intended to draw these things so she tweeted about it to sort of like set up that relationship but unless you're like paying attention to the twitter and also the paratexts it's, I think, unlikely that you would be entirely conscious of what's going on in these particular moments. In terms of Biddy being shoved into a hockey bag, the concept is that as basically a prank, the hockey team like zipped Biddy into a hockey bag and he like popped out of it to scare Jack or something. And the little joke that's within the tweets is that because they win the game after Biddy is zipped into the hockey bag, that now before every game, because they're like hockey superstitious, Biddy has to be zipped into a hockey bag. What I think is fucking absurd is that Biddy fits into a hockey bag. He would have to be so small. A hockey bag is not an insignificantly sized bag, but it's not a bag that an adult man would typically fit into. Like a child, sure, but an adult man has to be both small and very limber in order to sort of like curl up enough to fit into it. So it is a continuation of Biddy's inability to grow, you know, a mustache and a neuro chin strap or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's like I am shorter than Biddy, and I couldn't fit into a hockey bag. So it's like, realistically, there is no way you could zip him into one. I mean, it's basically large enough that you can put in a pair of, like, hockey skates, like, pads, like, gear. It's basically everything but your stick is what you put in there. (laughs) It's not large enough to fit, like, a full-sized adult person. So it's... 
just like how many times do we have to like fixate on the fact that Biddy is just like tiny, tiny, small, small, animate, twink prints proportionate. There's something like so undignified about like even for fun being like zipped into a hockey bag. Well, I wouldn't say that Biddy is an especially dignified character, to be fair. But yeah, don't disagree. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it. Ugh. But I think that's part of Biddy's thing is he like he play acts caretaking. And at the same time, his part of his like cinnamon roll charm or whatever is being like winsome, I think is the word I would use. I don't know. There's a weird juxtaposition there that I think this strip actually kind of talks about or covers through these two incidents. I don't know this and the and the behave incident i mean thinking about it for this podcast i was really struck by the fact that it's shocking to me that nobody ever wrote like porn where biddy just like shrinks small enough that he can just like fit into jack's butt because that's the kind of thing that you'd think that somebody would have written unfortunately this fandom is uh pretty unimaginative in its bonkers kink fic I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't write it. I'm actually not particularly into that trope. I'm just like, it's weird that nobody else did. I don't disagree. The thing is that I was never the person writing the completely off the wall batshit stuff. Well, I mean, not in that way anyway. Um, But I feel I feel it's lack in this fandom anyway. Yeah, so then we've got this implication here that Jack took, like, a lot of pictures of Biddy because he's in love with Biddy. And he's framed all of them in a way where it's, like, obvious that he's in love with Biddy. And his photo class all knew that he was in love with Biddy just by looking at his pictures of Biddy. And when they tried to point it out to him, he was just like, what? So once upon a time, I thought this was like a little funny and certainly it speaks to Jack's general obliviousness. You know, I definitely think that this leans into the way that I think about his anxiety, the way that I think about his way of interacting or not interacting with his emotions. Back in the day when I thought he was on the spectrum on purpose, I thought like this maybe was part of that. Do you know what I mean? Although now I no longer think it was on purpose. That's still part of my reading of him. So, you know, I think it fits that. But I don't know. It's very rom-com kind of deal, which I think tonally, again, is where the comic is moving. So it seems appropriate enough. But I don't know that I love it. I don't think it's as funny as I thought it was the first time I read this comic, probably because I've now read it, you know, a thousand times. So it's lost a little bit of its long lasting humor. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I would like to know what you think because I have another thought, but it's not quite forming into an articulate point. If this is important and we're supposed to sort of uh, assimilate this into our understanding of Jack and Biddy's romance, the process of them falling in love with each other, why is this like a one-off joke in the extras instead of like something that happens in the comic. If somebody in the comic was looking at Jack's photos and commented to him like, oh, 
it seems like you're taking a lot of photos of Biddy. Maybe of say like his friend Shitty, who has a lot of things to say to him apparently. <laughs> mentioned something like that and jack is just like what do you mean he's on the team and shitty's like well but like we're all on the team and you're not taking pictures of me like this and then you know the shot of jack reacting to that information is is one of ngozi's sort of classically like inscrutable looks where jack is trying to sort of like understand this information he's just like oh okay and he doesn't really know what to do with it yet that's something that would have built toward the inevitable seemingly conclusion of this particular year of the story. But that it's this bizarre thing that's like happening almost as like a throwaway joke outside of the parameters of the actual story. Maybe seems like it's doing this moment a disservice. I think there's something about the way that this comic sort of like throws out ideas and they sort of gently coalesce into a story that I think is interesting. And I think when it's done deliberately, it's actually like a really great way of telling a story or a certain kind of story. But because it doesn't feel deliberate, and I don't think it is, I think it's not good writing, it just ends up being frustrating. But I actually think like it could be really interesting if you wanted to kind of think about like the spaces between what you see on screen and how you can tell a story in these different ways. Unfortunately, that's not what comes across. Instead, you just get this like... It feels like nothing has consequences and nothing has stakes. Case in point, this moment of what could be realization for Jack just pointing to nothing. It's also a little creepy. Like there is something a little bit like oddly stalkerish about just taking like myriad photos of somebody you're fixated on. Yep. I've done it. Um, I haven't. But, you know, we, we all have our own our own pasts. <laughs> well, I relate to Jack Zimmerman very strongly, you know? There is, there's something, there's something bizarre. There's something bizarre and creepy about it. Like, I wish maybe a little bit more was made of this in the actual comic. And like the little aside that's happening in the blog post about all these people in class being like, or rather they're kind of like approaching the realization that Jack has some kind of feelings for Biddy just by like looking at the images that he has taken of Biddy, but they're doing it through this like, you know, college photo critique artist speak is a little funny and it's like kind of telling, but it's also, I don't know, just one of these like overly mythologized moments in the life of the fandom of this comic that like this particular photo class all knew that Jack felt this way about Biddy because of the way that Jack took a bunch of creepy photos of Biddy hanging around and that Jack was such an incredible dumbass that people were all but saying to him, you're hard for this guy. And Jack was just like, he's on my hockey team. And people were like, no, but it's this specific guy. And Jack is like, yeah, he's he's on the team. And again, when I was first reading this and I thought this was going somewhere and making a point about Jack, I, I liked it. It's just in retrospect when I realized it went nowhere that it kind of lost its steam. Yeah, and like, I think we've talked about this somewhat. I also 
not recently, but, you know, maybe in my like first, you know, year to two years of being in the fandom for this comic really did think that like we were building towards some sort of conclusion about like who Jack is and like, I thought perhaps also that he was on the spectrum or like something like we were going to learn something about him that explains his arc and his decision making, et cetera, and that maybe this would be part of it. But really, it's like even the fact that he takes photos is not really part of his character beyond this one beat. There are like a couple moments where it's implied that he is taking photos, like following year two of the comic, but it doesn't really like remain part of his character. It's like a tool that Ngozi is using in this particular semester, and then it's abandoned. And it's really interesting. It's an interesting device. And we'll talk about it later in this episode. But it's like, what is the overall reason for having this here? I'm not totally sure other than this one particular turn on like, oh, he's into Biddy, he's taking pictures of him. So then this like shot that we've already talked a bit about, about how uh, Jack and Jack and Shitty are standing near the ice and they're like way in the distance. It is really beautiful, but the only real meaning I can take from it is that, yeah, they're, they're sort of severed from or distant from the team, which is an interesting setup for this like wistful nonsense that Jack gives the audience about like not thinking about leaving things behind. We can't think of it as our last game. We've made it this far by playing into moments, all of us into moment every period, every shift. We'll leave everything on the ice because that's what we always do is one more game, just one more. What a gift. <laughs> like, I don't think French Canadians talk like that. I understand why, like, within Check, Please, it's being set up that this is how Jack needs to view his own life. But I actually don't think that I agree with this, and I just think that it's sort of like fanciful nonsense. Jack has to see things as not being final. Like, first of all, as a coping strategy in order to get through them. But second of all, it's like the meaning of his whole life is like... If things were final, then he would have just overdosed on drugs and died (laughs) and and like not had another shot to like go to college and redeem himself and like join the NHL or whatever. So obviously, as like a human being, it makes perfect sense for Jack Zimmerman, the character, to think this way about things. But I don't really think it's true, actually. And... I do think that thinking about this game as a last game is also a potential strategy because it's like, well, this is it. Like, this is your moment. Like, you have to win now or you are done and you've lost. That's definitely a way to, like, think about what you're engaged with. Like, you only get one chance. It's maybe like, I don't know, call it the coffee, uh, the (laughs) M&M viewpoint of things where it's like, you know, You've got one chance, you've got one shot. Like, here is your one moment on which you have to clinch. So you'd better be present in that moment because yes, this is final. 
you'd better think of it as your last game because if not, then what are you playing for? What indeed are the stakes? I think that for Jack, as you said, it makes sense that for someone with severe anxiety, like this wouldn't be necessarily effective because that can be overwhelming and actually not motivational, but actually like this kind of thing, it's the last minute of the game. It's the last game or whatever is a really classic sports strategy in terms of like sports psychology and motivating a team, at least in my experience as someone who has played team sports and as someone who has watched team sports and talked to people about them, it's pretty common to say, okay, this is like the last, you know, whatever, you know, play it out or whatever, right? Like that's a pretty common strategy. So I think that this is definitely operating more on the level of trying to engage with Jack's anxiety rather than thinking about hockey, because I don't, yeah, I I agree that this is like interesting from a character perspective, but not convincing as a philosophy. There's also like a way of thinking about this, which is sometimes it's the final moment and you fail and then that's okay or it's not okay, but you find a way to make it okay or whatever. There's actually like more exploration here I think you could do with anxiety, which would be really interesting. I just think the comic doesn't ever really engage with anxiety in like a thoughtful way exactly. It's like a character note that rarely gets explored on a deeper level. And so I I think this could be like an interesting opening to discuss that. It just never happens. Definitely not projecting onto Jack Zimmerman here though. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the first time or rather it's not the last time that we see Jack in this particular position. I just looked at the the tweets or the tweets, the dialogue from the end of year three where the Falconers are in the playoff. And I think when we get there, it'll be interesting to kind of like read back to this and think about you know, how has his view changed or become more nuanced or has it not? But yeah, I mean, just Jack's whole arc is basically about the fact that feeling like he only had one shot to do something was really damaging and harmful to him. His entire life has turned as long as we've known him reading this comic on the premise that he can have a second chance and that he can basically repair himself and keep going and seek redemption and try again. Yeah, in order to keep pushing forward and live his life, he's had to develop a particular sort of like, I don't know, almost like a form of like cognitive behavioral therapy or something to like push himself, push himself into this. And I don't know if the comic is viewing this as like a moment that's revealing something about Jack or if this is also the philosophy of the comic. It feels like the philosophy of the comic, although I guess we can certainly see how that plays out as we go. But I don't know whether it feels like that because that's actually what the comic ends up espousing or because it's couched in this way that things that become the philosophy of the comic are also couched. The way that Biddy's kind of philosophies end up becoming like the stated philosophies of the comic, basically. Rhetorically, it's kind of has the tone of other things that we're supposed to take as like profound truths about like at least the universe of check please if not our world i don't know but there's an interesting relationship in this philosophy that jack is espousing and 
what photography is sort of doing for him, both within the comic as it's constructed and like, you know, his life as a character. I think what the comic wants to argue is that photography is a view into Jack's psyche or his subconscious and that it's interesting because it's a reversal of how everyone else is always looking at and paying attention to him. Like there's a lot of speculation about, there's a lot of fixation on Jack in this like salacious gossipy way that we have discussed a few times on this podcast and by putting himself behind the camera he is no longer the focus he is like trading places he is now the spectator what's more interesting to me on this read through is that Taking photos is a way of distancing yourself from like what is actually happening. You're not in the moment, you're outside of the moment documenting it. It's interesting to consider a little bit like what a photo actually is. Photos are not reality. And I think there's this like popular conception that all photos are portraying some kind of like truth or reality. It is true, they are portraying some kind of reality or some kind of truth. They are portraying like a truth or a reality, not like the reality as experienced when you're actually living in it. Even candids are constructions. They're not like the moment as it happens. They're the moment as the photographer constructed and recorded it. Photographs are inherently framed. Like there are intentional inclusions and exclusions and there's positioning and there's effectively just like a construction of a certain kind of reality within a very particular, very narrow frame. And that's not to say that like, oh, all photos are lies. I'm not talking about like fake news or like manipulation or Photoshop or anything like that. I'm talking about this bizarre distancing that happens from life as it is lived when you put a camera between yourself and what is actually going on. And so from Jack's perspective that he's living in the moment, capturing the moment from behind a camera is not exactly the same thing as like living in it. It's changing your relationship to what's actually happening. Yeah. And I think that because that kind of distancing and that kind of framing literally of the shot, et cetera, is a way of controlling the narrative that's happening in the shot and around the shot. Um, that's an interesting way to kind of connect it, as we said, to Jack's anxiety, right? Like, why would he be drawn to this? Not only because he's reversing the eye that he's felt on him since childhood, but because it allows him to control thing that he's looking at or whatever. Um, which I think really fits the character. If we think about why he might be wanting to distance himself from Biddy and his feelings from Biddy, right? Like, it's hard to get in, like, be into somebody. The last time he was in a relationship, as far as we know, that was like 
a longer term kind of thing, he ended up ODing. So it would make sense that these feelings might be overwhelming or confusing, or he doesn't, he's not in touch with them. And this is a way of distancing himself from the object of his affection while also, you know, creepily stalking. It's also a way of like constructing the bitty that he wants to see. And I don't necessarily think that like the comic wants us to take this away from this, but nevertheless, it is true that like Biddy being shot from behind, backlit by the windows in the house kitchen, framed impeccably by the curtains and the cabinets, is romantic. But it's, again, romantic in this sort of, like, medieval literary way where reality is being alighted to create something that is heightened and idealized through the artificial means of capturing it in a certain way. And that's not to say that, like, Biddy was not actually standing in the kitchen framed between the curtains and the cabinets with the light pouring in on him. It's merely that Jack is choosing to take this particular photo in this particular way to get this particular view of Biddy, which excludes all of these other things about Biddy that maybe aren't as ideal. It's Gatsby syndrome. All right, guys, in classic noir novel failure, The Great Gatsby, which was almost universally derided by its critics of the day. In this book, there's this guy named Jay Gatsby. He's great, as you may have gathered from the title. Don't worry about it. He made a lot of money. He's a criminal. It's great. Um, And he falls in love or thinks he falls in love with this woman named Daisy, who's married to some racist named Tom. We don't have to get that into it, but Gatsby has this image of who Daisy is that is really idealized and has little to nothing to do with the actual Daisy Buchanan who we see in the text. And he ends up kind of, not to spoil an 80-year-old book or 100-year-old book now, geez. Yeah, happy birthday, but There's a story about it in the New York Times right now. But not, not to spoil a book, you know, that's been around for a long time, but he ends up not achieving his dream of running away with her. Um, and it's in part because of like things about her character that he can't see because he has this built up image in his head from when he met her, you know, 15 years ago. Um, And then in his head, he has this idealized romantic version of this person who he's fallen in love with. And when he actually meets her again and they spend time together, you know, she's not that. Anytime that I see a character building up an idealized version of someone they're in love with, who's not the actual person, I think of Mr. Jake Gatsby and all the times I have been forced to teach people that book. I mean, as a romantic cynic, I mean, literally a cynic about romance, what I would say is like, all romantic love has some element of this to it. I fundamentally don't believe that there is such a thing as like, you know, couldn't quote being in love with somebody without engaging in some of this process. I think that's probably true. I think it can be more problematic or less problematic in various situations. And if the idealized version of the person in your head completely replaces the real person in front of you, like you're definitely going to run into some problems. And I think that's probably true. And I actually think that's true in friendship sometimes too, right? Like the best version of your friend is the version that you want to spend time with. And that doesn't always include all of their petty flaws or whatever. Um, I think this is part of like human relationships, but it's not always disruptive. 
disruptive. In Jack's and Biddy's case, I guess we can talk about whether it's disruptive. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think that's probably true. And the reason why I point this out is mostly just to make it clear that, like, I don't think this is, like, a particular flaw of Jack's or, like, oh, Biddy is in particular so horrible. I just think it's, like, an interesting fact that isn't really examined by the comic. And, yeah, I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about this on this podcast, but... I don't think the comic wants us to think this. I think the comic wants us to think like, oh, they're both so great. And the way they see each other is just like so genuine and so true and so earnest. Like this is an ideal. And whatever problems they have, they'll be able to solve because they are unblinded by anything and and willing to communicate so i feel like that's what the comic wants you to think if jack and biddy were real people inhabiting the actual world they'd likely run into some problems they don't in fact know each other that well etc etc but keep listening to the podcast and i'm sure you'll get an earful of this eventually there's this little turn right after Biddy tells the frogs to stop, you know, fucking around, where Jack says in response to shitties, you're going to be playing here sometime soon. I guess so. I haven't actually signed yet. Which is an interesting kind of ambivalence. And then Shitty says, you guess so? Jack, surprise me and don't join the NHL. Surprise me and do, like, competitive fucking horticulture. Competitive fucking horticulture is just, like, another sort of, like, LOL artificial randomness. Like, I don't don't know, you know, Esther Shapiro and all of this other shit that's just, like, flung at this comic to try to be, like, what, you know, random goofy thing. However... Even Shitty's imagination of, like, the anti-NHL thing that Jack could do is still competitive. And then I also just find it, like, really fascinating that we have this bizarre turn here where Jack is, like, ambivalent, almost. Like, it's a foregone conclusion in this particular comic. Like, it's always been the plan that he's going to end up in the NHL. So the fact that he has some, like, hesitance and he's a little bit detached is really interesting. And then to follow it up, it's further interesting that Shitty is basically like, you know what? Just don't. Like, you know, what, what if you didn't? You guess so? Okay, then don't. And it's like one of very few moments, maybe it's the only moment where somebody basically raises the possibility that Jack would not go into the NHL. And it's just like this tantalizing, delicious idea to me that's just sort of hanging here, like unpicked. This idea that like Jack is being challenged as to like, why are you doing this? You don't seem that keyed up about it. It seems like you're just sort of doing it. You guess so? Okay, why? 
I guess to me, this is related to a question that I have asked in numerous forums over and over again, essentially, what is it with Jack? Like, what is wrong with him that this thing that all but killed him is something that he has spent his life straining to, like, keep doing and try again at? And it's almost like nobody has ever said to him, or he at least hasn't like heard somebody saying to him, why are you doing this? Are you sure this is what you ought to be doing? And then the comic just like, just doesn't press on it, just lets it go. Although I think that's one of the things that makes this comic, again, really ripe for fandom is the fact that it asks these really interesting questions and then doesn't provide an answer but that doesn't make for a great cohesive text yeah so then why is jack ambivalent like why hasn't he signed i think it has to do with this philosophy of staying in the moment wanting to linger with biddy i think that's part of the subtext and i also think anxiety like you know when you've worked so hard to get to something and then what if you fail? I can see how anxiety would prevent that last step. That's my best guess. But also because of the romance deal, I think it's because he wants to linger in this moment with Biddy, especially after the whole point of all the pictures he took of him. I think that's how it's supposed to be read. But I am very interested in the potential that like, yeah, maybe he doesn't really want to go into the NHL. Maybe it's just like a combination of feeling like he has to, not having a better idea and wanting to kind of like personally settle a score that he feels compelled or maybe he's never even like asked himself. Maybe nobody has ever said to him his entire life, what if you just didn't do this? So he's never even thought about what if he just didn't do it. I think part of how I like to read Jack and part of how I understand the character is a certain kind of rigidity. It's very hard if you spend every moment from your birth, basically, like trying to remake yourself in the image of your father to get off that track. And I think it's both really interesting to think about a world in which Jack doesn't go to the NHL. And I also think that it is really hard to imagine a Jack who would have the flexibility or sort of like emotional resilience to do that in this moment without something like an OD or something like a really catastrophic thing to prevent it. Which also then raises the issue of like, did he OD in the first place, not only because of whatever pressures, but because he didn't want to go into the NHL and didn't have like another way to communicate that. I don't know. I mean, it raises a lot of really interesting potential possibilities there. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with this comic is it doesn't satisfy any answers, period. And like you said, this is part of what makes a really good fandom. But you can make an alternate reading of Jack Zimmerman where it's like, yeah, he it's possible that he really doesn't want to do this, that he OD'd because he really didn't want to do it. And maybe like wasn't even aware that he didn't want to do it. Maybe he doesn't know that he doesn't want to do it. Like if that makes sense. I think that's totally possible. I think that people are 
often guided by both conscious decision and sort of subterranean like desires not to get uh, listen I, i'm not into freud but i think there there is something true that like often our behavior i'm saying our like a philosopher i really mean my i don't know about anybody else but i know i feel like i personally sometimes experience life through compulsions that I can't always like put a reason to. And I totally buy that Jack would not consciously allow himself to think I don't want to be in the NHL, but would act in ways that make it clear that he doesn't. And I think it's a really interesting reading. Like, I think, especially if you look at this through, oh my gosh, if you look at this comic through tropes and expectations and like the expectations characters have for themselves and how they feel sort of obligated to go along with them. I mean, I I think with Biddy, you get like some really interesting stuff that has to do actually with his caretaking and maternal actions. And then with Jack, you get really interesting stuff with hockey. I think that also gives like an interesting dimension to their relationship. Again, not necessarily one that makes it like healthy or like full of cinnamon roll and sunshine love but i think one that is readable in the text Biddy effectively is is uh in his own life saddled with something very similar to jack which is you know he has both consciously and subconsciously been conditioned to expect that what will happen in his life is he will find you know a single monogamous long-term partner relatively early in his adulthood will settle down with that person and they will have children and like a robust domestic life again i think very soon we're going to be able to talk about this in full but I think Jack and Biddy, something that's interesting about them that they have in common is that they're probably two people who have not been given a lot of like alternative examples or like other options. Not because there's some like insidious, you know, intentionally insidious cabal that is preventing them from making other choices by design is just sort of like a failure of socially systemic imagination to provide other examples to these people of like ways to live. So, I mean, it seems like Jack was naturally very good at hockey, even as a kid. So what other interest of his would have been nurtured and fostered or you know what sort of like soul searching process would he have been encouraged to go on in order to find something other than this one thing that he's already very good at and seemingly enjoys doing why would anyone give that to him and it would take like a a real sense of self that jack doesn't appear to have to like initiate that on his own I don't think the comic wants you to be thinking about this, but I think they are issues that are nevertheless inherent to this particular story. And again, with Biddy, it's how many examples of non-traditional families or, you know, non-heteronormative structures has he been exposed to? Probably none. He's just presumed that this is what will happen for him. I think that's really true. And what has occurring to me while you were talking about this is that this is true for many people, obviously, in many circumstances. I can only understand the world through my experience. So, you know, I'm not trying to claim this is true for everybody. But one of the things that helped me unlearn some of this 
was the internet, which is why I'm interested that Biddy's experience of the internet, like doesn't seem to be doing this. And also was like making queer friends once I was out in the world and making friends with many diverse people who have many diverse life experiences. And that helps you kind of start to imagine like what's possible. And what's interesting to me is that this comic, although it tries to make an argument kind of about coming out and about queerness and about self-acceptance, doesn't really follow that part of the queer experience, which again, is surely not a universal queer experience, but it happens to be part of mine. And it happens to be part of mine, both because I like was in fandom and therefore like made friends with queer people as a young person online in a town where that was not possible in real life. And so that was my first window into the fact that there were other ways of organizing your life. Uh, and then as an, as a young adult and adult, you know, making friends with a wide variety of people who come from many walks of life and experiences. Both of these characters feel clearly, as you said, like kind of maybe not even consciously, but there's a kind of pigeonholing that happens, like an expectation that you get pushed into. And neither of them are kind of taking the initiative to seek out people who would not support that. And I can see that for Jack because of all the sort of things we talked about. And also because as far as archetypes go, Jack like is a sort of rigid archetype, right? And oh, not in a sexy way, but he's like a hockey wunderkind. He's like the handsome love interest. He's like the serious captain. And, you know, there's certain expectations and I think like diligence and fulfilling obligation are part of those tropes. So I understand on both a narrative level and on a character level why Jack wouldn't. But for Biddy, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it feels weird that even when he does begin to expose him, I mean, it doesn't feel weird because like it's not part of the comic. It's not part of the comics plot. But to me, as someone, if Biddy were real, it feels kind of strange that he isn't seeking out these spaces, which would allow him a broader imagination of what his future could look like. I guess what's interesting to me about this particular moment is that it's like actually a moment where the potential for Jack to respond to this prompting could have like changed the direction of the actual story. And as we have discussed and we'll discuss a lot, purportedly like the ethos of this comic is about deconstructing like a way that like masculinity has been ordered in a way that's harmful to people. And here's a moment where somebody is basically saying to Jack, you know, are you really sure that you want to continue living under this paradigm and jack doesn't even pause to answer the question it's an aside it's a joke about competitive fucking horticulture it's not a moment where like you know jack has to actively choose to go into the nhl and we never see him actively choosing it it's just like that's the path he's on it's his plot so the plot is unfolding, but we never see him make a series of decisions. Indeed, we never really see him even try very hard. <laughs> like we don't see him desirously pursuing a hockey career. It just appears to be happening in good order off to the side. The interesting moment that's very fleeting and then it dissipates. It's really too bad that Jack and Shitty like don't do more together in in this comic, meaning all of Jack please. And uh, indeed, I think this is really like their first actual interaction in the comic. Or if not, it's one of like very rare interactions they've had in the comic. This 
kind of a shame because Shinny represents like the most direct challenge to Jack's personal bullshit in a way that also understands that Jack will never quit his own bullshit. Like part of the question that Shitty is asking has the answer. Like, yeah, of course he's not going to surprise me. Like embedded in it. I think the one other character who maybe shares this a little like is is Kent Parson. And in fact, when Kent Parson like challenged Jack even a little, it was disastrous. And Biddy would never not even when they're dating would biddy ever challenge jack in this sense like ask him basically like if this makes you feel so bad why are you forcing yourself to do it he would be blandly supportive and or say nothing we've already kind of touched on this a bit and i think this is potentially part of the appeal of biddy for jack that lack of challenge. Um, I think the ways that Biddy challenges Jack are not so threatening as this might be because they don't push at Jack's kind of underlying assumptions. But I actually think even though the comic, again, the tagline or one of the taglines is like, oh, I'm doing toxic masculinity or whatever. I actually would ask like, how much do we see any character challenged in a way that actually makes them question their underlying assumptions about the universe and how they move through it? I don't think anybody ever Yes, things are talked about or looked at, but it's never introspective. The only people I can really call to mind who actually seemingly have that turn are Whiskey and Kent Parson. And it's mainly them falling into line or seemingly becoming sympathetic to biddy's overall project and the message of the comic yeah i guess that's true they both do kind of have turns but what we see of it is so limited that it we don't even know enough about whiskey to know like what his assumptions about the universe are really we can make guesses but you know yeah it's and then- not a, it's not a process that's depicted yeah it's not like yeah. a development or you know a growing understanding yeah, exactly. And for Kent Parson, I think we get a little more, but it really just ends with him eating humble pie in a way that we'll get to in year four. Biddy, at the very end of this comic, um, after she makes a funny joke about how if they win, um, he gets an unlimited supply of hugs. Biddy lingers at the glass and he's looking out onto the rink and tweeting seemingly. And then Jack is like, come on, let's go. And then Biddy is like, oh, and he's caught a little off guard. And I wonder what the meaning of this moment to end the strip is. I am not totally sure. I have a couple of thoughts about it, but I don't, I don't feel confident in any of them but let me tell you anyway yeah um one is that biddy is looking out on the ice devoid of jack and shitty so of course you know as as the whole comic is about they are no longer there he's looking out on the ice in a way that sort of previews his future mastery over the ice that he'll come to during year four i also think there could be something in here about how biddy is always on his phone and like the photography is a distancing element for Jack. The phone is sort of Biddy's distancing element. I think maybe there's something there. I don't know, purposeful 
people or not, but I think there's something there because, or in the final page, we see Jack with the camera in his hands and then we see Biddy with the phone in his hands. So I think maybe there's a parallel there. And then last but not least, there is a visual parallel for sure with this moment with the little surprise lines coming off of him and Biddy getting a text in the very final panel of year two. I don't know what the connection there is, but I think that there's something there. Like a lot of these beats, just intentionally vague and open-ended. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, I hate how Jack is drawn in this comic. I don't think I have a strong opinion about it. Her art is just, like, inconsistent. Next time, we are going to be looking at 2.14 post-3 last game, which is probably the best strip in the entire comic just because it's like the best like in terms of quality in terms of quality and like execution it's probably the the best strip in in check please and then the cherry on top and i do mean that sexually is that jack zimmerman does cry and um wonderfully that will be our 50th episode so 50th episode Jackson Rubin's Tears Spectacular next time on Shectus, please. If you want to learn more about me and my my toxic edgelord fan fiction, you can join me at Camillier, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R at Tumblr or S-K-R-T-O-M-G at Tumblr or read the fic itself on my AO3 account, Familiar. You can find me coming up with inane AU ideas and then making secret write really good fic for them um, on tomatorights.tumblr.com. You can find me on AO3 at tomato underscore greens. And you can find our podcast at checkdiscplease.tumblr.com or on Bean or on Spotify. Uh, everybody take a picture of some geese this week if you can swing it. And uh, that's about all I got. I don't know where I'm going to find any geese tomato. Yeah, I don't know. I did see some very mysterious birds flying overhead the other day that had very long bills. And I don't know what they were, but they weren't geese. But they were wild flying turkeys. in a V formation. They were wild turkeys, I'm sure. They, they, I, these beaks were too big for turkeys. I'm familiar with the turkey, the turkey beak. Anyway, we're we're looking forward to seeing you back here for the big five zero next week on Check Displeased. Have a great. It night. will be twenty twenty one. That's crazy. Sorry, I interrupted your greetings because I got freaked out by time passing. Yeah, have a good night. Sorry. Yeah. No, have a great night. Looking forward to it. Bye. Bye, guys. Sometimes I send secret photos that I've taken of like the land around me. And I'm like, this is a photo that Jack would take, but he would take it better or maybe worse. Check This Pleased is written, recorded, and produced by Secret and Tomato. Our theme music is by Tomato and our art is by Nahangan. That was very legit.